0: Hi, I'm Charles Galda, president of Vision New England and your host for the Church in Action program, where we talk with New England leaders about the imperatives of making disciples, doing justice, fostering unity, and sharing Jesus to transform New England. You've heard me talk, if you're a regular listener, about the post-pandemic church project or research and the outcomes of that. Today, I'd like to do something a little different and take you to the actual findings of it. So I'm the only guest. I apologize. You're going to hear my voice the whole time. Uh, but I, wanted, I want to get you to hear what we heard from over 100 leaders across New England about what they believe God has been exposing in his church over the last two years. Over the last six months, Vision New England conducted this research, asking more than 100 leaders in a very formal process what has God been exposing in his church over the last two years? And then what are the implications for us as leaders? We've hung, held a bunch of focus groups with all of these leaders trying to get at that. The findings and the recommendations have now been vetted by uh, our, what we call our association directors, which is a very diverse group from all over New England. That's our proxy of speaking for the broader church, so we're hearing holistically from the church. They uh, walked through this and they affirmed it. And so I want to share it with more people because there are some things in it that are corrective, if I can say it that way, that we all need to hear and we all need to think about what does that mean to me, to my ministry, to my church, what have you. And so in this research, we heard God doing amazing things all over New England. And that's been something I've seen since I got to Vision New England three years ago. Uh, But he's also exposed some really fundamental gaps Uh, that I think he's calling us to change. And I'd I'd even use the word be renewed. Uh, And renewal always comes before revival, but we'll talk about that more. So you'll hear me talk about the pandemic, uh, what got exposed in the pandemic, but I mean more than just the pandemic. I mean the election, the partisanship, the polarization, the violence before and after, All of these different things, George Floyd and all of those issues, the police issue, and all of this stuff uh, that's been happening uh, has been going on the last two years. And we think God is saying something in it. And so the first statement uh, that came out of the post-pandemic project, uh, and there's 10 of these statements, is that while we make disciples, our churches have too many people who are biblically illiterate, consumers, partisans, and they don't evidence the fruits of the Spirit. They're not being transformed to be more like Jesus, and that the solution to that is not a class or a program. It's a culture of disciple-making led by the senior pastor that is intentional, relational, accountable, and universal. And so what we mean by this is we knew people were biblically illiterate before the pandemic, but it's really been exposed, and you'll find that with a bunch of the findings today. Uh, The word disciple means learner. And so if we are called to be a disciple, which we are, and not just a believer, but a disciple, then we know the teachings of the teacher. We've learned those, but we've also learned how to live like the teacher. And so we've got to break our consumer mindset, our partisan mindset, and we need to be doing the things that God uses to mold us and our people into people who look more like Jesus. Being transformed, who evidenced the fruits of the Spirit. And so that's a big uh, statement. And that really enables all the other things that we're going to talk about. Without that, we won't do the other things because it's disciples who disadvantage themselves to serve and love other people just like Jesus did. And so that's the first one. It has to do with making disciples. All believers, second statement, need to have a biblical definition of justice. Right? Micah tells us do justice. Uh, Tim Keller talks about it as an injustice is anything that prevents someone from living, uh, flourishing in this life, in every aspect of life. Shalom. That's the meaning of shalom. Uh, Dr. Emmett Price shortened it for us, and he just talked about it's anything that violates the pre-fall order. The fall introduced injustice, and we are called to do justice, meaning fix it, And we have an affirmative obligation for our lawyer friends, an affirmative obligation to do something about justice as believers. And we won't do that if we're not really disciples who are willing to disadvantage ourselves to do that. That needs to be our theology on doing justice, and that needs to be our theology that it's ours to do. And I want to be clear here. We're not talking about a political definition of justice. We're not talking about a narrow integrity, honesty, vision of justice. We're talking about something that transcends that. And there's a biblical justice. And they're really, without the Bible, there is no concept even of justice. So justice, some of us may be uncomfortable with it, but it's our word. <laughs> without, without Christ, there is no such thing as justice. And so we are called to do justice in every sphere of life. And we can break out of all the debates about whether America is just or unjust uh, and recognize that as just as America is, there's injustice too. God never intended in the fall for people to be hungry or for people to have mental health issues or for people to be suffering with illnesses, or for people to have uh, income disparity, right? We can disagree on the causes and the solutions, but we can agree those are issues of justice. Mental health fits squarely into that bucket. God did not intend people to have mental health issues. So it's a justice issue, and we are being swamped by it. Our pastors are being impacted by it. Our congregations are being impacted by it. Our communities are being impacted by it. And there's a huge opportunity for the church to step into this field and minister to people who need help with with mental health issues that uh, range from very serious to things that some of us, even we, can be equipped uh, to do something uh, to help people with just by listening to people. Uh, But the church isn't equipped to do it. Very few of us are equipped to step into all of these places, and there are places where there's only a real role for clinicians and professionally trained people, and there's things we can do too, the rest of us. And so mental health is a big uh, gap. Uh, Another one, it has to do with those affected by disability. Justice requires the church to serve and include the weakest among us, and that has to include those who are affected by disability. They were marginalized before COVID, They were more marginalized in COVID, and that includes being marginalized in our communities and in our churches, and the church needs to address that. It's a huge mission field because people affected by disabilities are often just ignored. The fifth statement is that there's a trend of lower giving and attendance. That's something that was happening well before COVID. It's a structural change absent a move of God. And it accelerated in the pandemic. Now, some churches and ministries are not experiencing that. They're seeing much better attendance. They're seeing much better giving. But on the whole, that's our story. And that's been our story for year by year, if you look at the data. That requires us to collaborate and work together across divides that maybe historically were an issue uh, and provide infrastructure that supports greater collaboration so that we can have in the business terms, which is my world do more with less. right? We need to have a bigger impact in doing justice in our communities. That requires collaboration. Sixth big statement. While we have wonderful examples of unity in networks, most of our networks tend to align to race, or they align to ethnicity, or sex, or age, or class, or politics. And so there's great pieces of unity but there is not unity across the entire church because we operate in our networks and those networks tend to be separate sometimes for ugly historical reasons or ugly reasons sometimes for practical reasons and not anyone's intent and we find in our work and Jesus prays us in John 17:21 when they are one like you and I are one right I and them you and me me and them right? It's an intimate friendship is what he's talking about. Unity may make us think of it wrong sometimes, but it's an intimate friendship that Jesus is calling, praying for there. And when we have that, he says, then people will know God sent his son. So if we can break ourselves out of consumerism, partisanship, politics, and focus on the things of God and the work of God, being the people of God, doing the work of God, coming together, disadvantaging ourselves, and loving each other regardless of what we think about politics. There's witness in that because the world can't do that, but there's power in it because we see over and over again when believers come together in relationship, God does something with it nobody ever anticipated. And suddenly things start to change. And we want to start uh, doing that across the whole church Uh, But there's a chance really for starting with leaders in the church, right? If we can break down those barriers with leaders, we can break them down across the whole church. Seventh big statement, fewer people are going into vocational ministry. And more and more ministries can't afford to pay people who go into full-time vocational ministry. So we need another answer. And what that means is like most of the church in the world, we're probably going to have more bivocational ministers, people without formal training. And we need to figure out innovative ways to equip people to do ministry uh, who don't have that training. And that means that there will be more people doing what professional pastors do today, or vocational pastors do today, who are not vocational pastors. Some will be. We don't think that ever goes away, but more and more of us will need to deal with uh, the fact that some of us are called to do that, and we need equipping to do it. Eighth big statement. Many churches don't have the skills to understand the context they're in today which not only changed from two years ago, but for many of us, we probably weren't really dealing with the right context before that. A lot of us, we always joke, New England people don't, you know, people don't like to change. New England people don't like to change. New England church people, we don't change. <laughs> and so some of us were still doing ministry or thinking of our context and how to do ministry the way we were thinking of it 20, 30, 40 years ago. And we need to adapt to a new context if we want to be able to share Jesus with people. And what that means is we need to understand that context, who's in our community, what are our community's needs, what are our capabilities, and what's the calling God has placed on us as believers and us as a church or a ministry in that community. And then craft a vision and a mission that's relevant in that community, that impacts that community, that serves that community, and then the change management skills to be able to adapt and execute on that new mission. some, Some churches have that built in. Some leaders have that built in, or they've picked it up along the way. Most of our churches don't have that, and they need equipping and coaching to get there. So that's the eighth big one. Ninth, we need to be able to talk about sexuality and gender with truth and love. Jesus was good at this. We're not always good at this. Jesus talks in truth and love. We see it over and over again in Scripture. We tend to be good at at talking in love or talking in truth. We need to figure out how to put it together in a way that we can be able to talk with LGBT uh, people with whom we may have nothing in common or a lot in common. But we need to be able to engage with truth and love to build the relationships to even know whether we have things in common. And by the way, that engaging in truth and love deals with more than sexuality. It's about everything. It's about race. Uh, it's about elections, it's about CRT, we need to engage with truth and love. And so ninth big one is about sexuality and gender and truth and love. And then 10th is the need, we need to adapt to a context that does not recognize God in the Bible. Many of us grew up in a context that was, uh, had things in it that supported some things of Christianity and that that was helpful. Uh, and so I could, when I witnessed to you, I could tell you who Jesus was, I could tell you what the Bible says, and you agreed already there was a God, it's the God of the Bible, the Bible is authoritative, and so I can appeal to that. That is not our context. There are people who not only don't know the Bible, it's a common thing in many churches for people who, have to, who are new to the faith, and they don't know who Moses is, they don't know who Abraham is. I know of one church where somebody who'd been coming for a few weeks asked the pastor, what is a Jesus. We live in a different culture and we can grieve that, but that's not what we're called to do. We are people on mission. We want to step into that and we want to share with people who Jesus is. But as we've been, as you can tell from the theme of all of these things, that requires us being real disciples, disadvantaging ourselves to serve other people because that's when they want to know who our Jesus is. And so we need to figure out how to do that effectively, understanding where people really are. And having the kinds of conversations with them that they want to have and that moves the needle for them and moves them towards Jesus. It's much more rare today that you share the faith with someone one time and they commit their lives to Jesus. It's a progression. The Engel scale does a good job of laying that out. And we need to be smart about and sensitive to the Holy Spirit's promptings about where is that person and what can we have as a conversation that moves them along that spectrum. And so, very quickly, going back through the 10, so it's about making disciples. It's a biblical definition of justice. It's engaging in mental health and disability. It's working together in collaboration so that we can have a bigger impact specifically when it comes to doing biblical justice. It's about have, bre- breaking through or bridging the divides in the church uh, across along race, ethnicity, sex, class, politics. It's about equipping people who don't have formal training to lead as as church leaders and ministry leaders. And it's about helping churches adapt to their context and talking about sexuality with truth and love and doing all of that so that people ask us to tell them about Jesus. We want to tell people about Jesus. There's ways if we're smart, and because a lot of people don't want to hear about our Jesus, right? They think, hey, well, that's good if that works for you, maybe, right? Or they're hostile. But when I miss my mortgage payment because I paid yours, guess what? You want to know about why I did that. I use an example about uh, Pastor Greg Moselle as as the pastor at First Baptist Amherst. And he was invited on the local college radio station, a fairly secular context. uh, And they were asking him why he did what he did. And he had a wonderful opportunity to talk about Jesus on their radio station. Why? Because he and his church do so much to serve their community. When we disadvantage ourselves to serve others, they want to know Jesus. We see it over and over again. That's why Jesus says love requires sacrifice. I am convinced if there is no sacrifice, there is no love. And it's just talk. And that's why I think Jesus talks about sacrifice so much. And so the summary then of all of this, if I bundled it all together, about what does the church need to be coming out of the pandemic and the future to not just survive, but to thrive. God's church will be okay. The question is, are we going to be faithful in, in moving God's church the way he's calling us to move to help it move? And so to do that, we need to make disciples, and you can't say that any of this is optional. Matthew 28, 19, 20, right? Make disciples. When we make disciples, people who are biblically literate, evidence the fruits of the Spirit, And are willing to disadvantage ourselves to serve others, loving and serving, to do justice, can't get away from that one either, right? Fixing those things in our communities that violate the pre-fall order, fostering unity, right, overcoming the divides in the church, Jesus prayed for that. Then people want to know our Jesus. And so these sound like basic things. And the reality is they are basic things. They are very basic and fundamental to who we are. And I want to put that in context for you. But let's just say, make disciples, do justice, foster unity. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, make disciples, not optional. Micah 6, 8 is do justice, not optional. And Matthew 5, 16 tells us what happens when we do justice. In uh, I like to use a, a, an AJ Gordon a phrase that uh, to paraphrase that verse when the people of God do the work of God, the world sees it and praises God, it's evangelistic, right? And that's exactly what we're seeing, right? When I serve you, you care about what I have to say about Jesus. Until then, you're just like anybody else, you don't have any better story than the Buddhist down the road, the atheist down the road, or anybody else. And Jesus prays in John 17, 21 for unity, and 22 and 23, for unity among his people. I'm going to say friendship, even. That's what I think he's really talking about there. Friendship, real, meaningful, intimate friendship among uh, his followers, right? That's a witness and a power. Jesus prayed for it. So you can't get away from that. We want to manifest that unity. And he tells us what will happen if we do then the world will know God sent his son. It's evangelistic. Good works, justice is evangelistic, and so is unity. That's what the church needs to be known for in this post-pandemic world. We have to let go of all of our preferences, all of our desires, and recognize that God is calling us to make disciples, to do justice, and to foster unity so that people want to know who Jesus is. And here's why it's so important. When I got involved with Vision New England four years ago, I went around uh, with Clive Calver and we talked to over a hundred leaders around New England about rebirthing Vision New England as a ministry. At least a third of them said God is doing something different in New England. God is doing something I've never seen before. And I believe them because I heard it from enough people who've been here decades now. I think we're at a really critical junction because I think God was doing something new and doing something different. And we're the most unchurched region, I get it. But God is doing something new and doing something different. And it was exciting and it was innovative. We're seeing all kinds of cool stuff. But I think what God has used the last two years for is to expose there's some issues with his people. And if we want to see him go beyond he's doing something new or even keep doing something new and get to the point where he's done something amazing, then I think God wants his people to change. Revival always comes after renewal and awakening comes after revival. So the renewal of God's people, I believe, is what God is pointing us to through all of this research and project that we've done. And the exposing has been, I want my people renewed. That's why it's basic things. Just like the prophets of old, they were pointing Israel to be, you. Don't take care of the widows. You don't take care of the war orphans. You don't care of the take care of the immigrants. You cheat the poor, right? What is it? He's talking about base. The prophets are talking about basic things in many cases, and I think that's what's happening here. I'm not saying I'm prophet. Please don't mishear me. But it's pointing to basic things. What the pandemic has exposed is the is the church. Not say every church, every ministry, every believer. But on the whole, leaders from around New England have said, these are our gaps and they are fundamental to the mission of the church. They are basic things. And I think that means God is saying to his people, be renewed. If you want to see me do more, you need to be renewed. So make disciples do justice and foster unity. That's what I want. And then God will move. It may be that we're at a second Chronicles seven fourteen moment. If you right. God is talking to Israel, saying, if my people will turn from their wickedness and pray and return, I will heal their land. I don't know if God will heal the land, and that's a promise to Israel, but I wonder if we're not at that same moment that God is saying, I've been doing some great things in New England. Now, if my people will turn from their wicked ways and pray and return to me, then I'll really do something. I wonder. And the turning from the wicked ways is, I told you make disciples, make disciples. I told you do justice, do justice. I told you be, I, I prayed for unity, manifest unity. And the only thing standing in the way is us. And so we need to ask ourselves, each one of us, how am I doing this in my ministry? How am I doing it in my influencing my network on these? Because it's not going to be Vision New England making these changes. I shared this with, with our directors uh, a few weeks ago, and I said, look, if, if this is just me saying this, then I think you can all say, hey, that's Galda's view. I don't agree. He can do what he wants to. But this is what you all said God is exposing and God is saying. And if that's the case, none of us get away from this, and every one of us needs to figure out, how do I model this in my ministry? How do I influence my network? Because that's the way you turn the ship. And so we need to keep what's good today, but we've got some fixing to do. And so one more time, because we all need to be focused on it, make disciples, people who are biblically literate, evidence the fruit of the the Spirit, are being transformed so that they will disadvantage themselves to love and serve others, doing justice, fixing those things that are broken in our society, that those things that violate the pre-fall order, and foster unity, overcoming divides of race, ethnicity, sex, age, partisanship, polarization, so that we're friends with each other. When we do that, people ask us to share Jesus. And those really are what all the revivals came out of, is God's people returning to those basic things of what he's commanded us to do and Then living differently, we start to look different than our neighbors. I I do a little bit of work in human trafficking. Before I came to Vision New England, I got involved with a wonderful ministry underground in Connecticut and Amira in Massachusetts. When people would hear I was involved with that stuff, guess what? They wanted to know why. I got to tell them about Jesus. That's why. And that was the reason why. You will be asked to share your faith. And it will impact people's lives. It will transform you. It will transform them. But we also need to remember, and I think Dallas Willard does a great job making this argument in the spirit of the disciplines, is that the way God changes us is through the spiritual disciplines. So I'd encourage you to do those if you're not. but, But in any event, how are you, as a believer, making disciples? What's your methodology? Our website has resources, so you can find them there. But how are each one of us making disciples? Because it, the Bible doesn't say pastors make disciples; it's make disciples, all of us. And so that will change your life. It will change the kingdom. It will change the. Uh, it will change New England, and it will transform the world. Two great awakenings came from New England. Is it possible a third will? Maybe. I don't know what God intends. I do know, I have a professor who used to say, what God has done in the past is a model and a promise of what God will do in the future, but he's much too creative to do the same thing, the same way, twice. So maybe there will be a third great awakening. Might not look like the other two. That's okay. I'll take it. So would you pray for that? Pray about that in your own life. Pray about this in the church. We need to transform the church so that we can transform New England. It's not about those people who don't believe what we believe. What we think God is saying, what we believe God is saying is it's about us. We need to change and that's not easy. And we need to yield to him and surrender and let him change us. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. I'd like to thank our producer, Jess Mangano. And you can visit us at visionnewengland.org for past episodes, resources. You can click Donate to partner with us to accelerate evangelism in New England. You go to our resources page and click on Discipleship. You can find books, videos, uh, radio programs, podcasts about that. This program is brought to you by our friends at the Luis Palau Association, who are dedicated to proclaiming the good news, uniting the church, and impacting cities worldwide. God bless you, and thanks for listening.